Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Philippians chapter 3 um, is where we're going to be. Chapter 3, 1 through 11. And uh, when Pastor Chet gave me this section, when he was talking about, he's like, hey, I'm going to Israel. And, you know, would you be able to teach on Thursday? I looked at my schedule. I was like, that is awesome. And he's like, I'm going through Philippians. I was like, I love Philippians. And then he, he showed me the, he sent me the section. And I looked and I was like, all right, dogs and mutilators. That's where we're at tonight. So we're going to be super excited to see what God has for us. Um, but honestly, I love this section. I, I really actually love this particular section of scripture. Um, it, it, it's something where Paul is going to talk about something, I think, that, that has the potential to set us free from things that we often are held and bound by, and that's legalism. So this, this evening, as we kind of go through Philippians, we're going to be looking at this idea, and, and, and Paul's going to be talking about legalism and, and the problems with it and, um, and the dynamics of it and, 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 the, and the right way to live, which is by faith in Christ. So this evening, let's begin with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll open up the scripture together. Uh, Father God, we are so grateful for your word, thankful that you gave us truth written down so that we could study it, so that we could understand it, so that we could know it, knowing the truth, that we could be set free. Set free to love you and to serve you and to enjoy you forever. And so tonight, God, we pray for Pastor Chet and Pastor Jeff and all of those that are traveling to Israel. We pray for your blessing on their travels and and on their time there. We pray that you just refresh them and minister to them, open up the Holy Land. Um, in new ways to them and deepen their relationships and relationship with you. And meet us tonight, God. Meet us tonight as we open your word. Uh, open our hearts. Open our understanding. Um, be glorified, God, in, in this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, how many of you guys have ever found something or got something or even bought something where you thought, okay, this is going to solve my problems, but it ended up causing more problems? Right? You want something and you're like, okay, this is it. If I get this, I'm good. And then you get it and you realize like, oh, I'm not good. It's actually a bigger problem. It's a bigger mess. Maybe you bought the new car, you've been saving, or you got a loan that's going to kill you, right? And, and you're like, okay, this is, this is really all I want. I just want, I, I just want this ride. It's going to be sweet. And then you get it and you're just stressed all the time about paying for it, and all the time that somebody might ding it, and all the time that somebody's going to eat french fries in your car, right? Like, it just creates, like, you're like, I thought this was going to bring me joy. I thought this was going to bring me life, and it's just more problems. Maybe it's a relationship, and you're like, oh, I just need a boyfriend, or I need a girlfriend, or I need a spouse. If I can just get married, or if I can just get a serious relationship with a sweet, godly girl, like, I know it's all going to be... And then you have a relationship and you're like, wow, this is a lot of work. <laughs> like, this is, it's, it's costing me some money too, <laughs> right? You think it's like, yeah, this is going to solve, this is going to be it. And then it's just more problems. Or maybe it's like a, it's, you know, some kind of a health equipment, you know, maybe you bought a Peloton 
right? And you're like, oh, I am going to look like that model. Like, I, I'm sure I, it's, it's going to happen. And like a month and a half goes by, it's just sitting in the back of the room somewhere, costing you money every month, right? That's like legalism. That's just like legalism. You think like, okay, this is it. I'm going to do these five things, or I'm going to follow these rules, or I'm going to keep this law. It's going to be good. And then you realize it actually just costs you more. It actually takes from you. It doesn't give to you. And we're never meant to live in a legalistic relationship with God. And so the title of our message um, tonight is Legalism is Not Life. Jesus is life, right? Legalism is not life, but Jesus is life. So Paul is, you know, he's been talking about the mind of Christ. He's been talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus, um, these uh, great servants, right? Uh, Now he's going to get into chapter 3. And he's going to start to break down some problems with legalism. And he's, he's, going to, he's pretty serious about it. Now, I don't know about you, but this legalism is one of those things that, that, that it really disturbs me. I, re, I really, it just kind of like, I, every time I see it or every time I hear it or every time I feel it, it just kind of grinds on me. Because I love freedom. I love life. I love enjoying what God has. And I hate to see people bound. I hate to see people limited. Now, so my history, my like past, I'm at Coast Hills right now, but this is the first time in 26 years that I haven't started school. So I was a principal at Calvary Chapel High School. For 26 years, I worked at the schools. And working at a Christian school is kind of, a, it's kind of an interesting dynamic because you have to have rules for a school, right? You have to have rules and structure and all those things, but it's very easy for a young person to kind of mix up the rules of school with the life of faith. And, and, and it sucks the life out of them. And it causes them to stumble and, and, and struggle. And so I love to see people walking in faith and grace, and love, and joy, and, and I hate legalism. So when I saw this, I was like, all right, dogs and mutilators, okay, but this is good, because I'm hoping, I'm praying, honestly, that some of you will walk away lighter tonight, freer, more full of the life that God has for you, um, f- the fruit of the Spirit alive in your life, because you've, you've seen and heard God's grace, and God's love, and God's purpose. So let's go ahead and look at, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of preload five points about grace and legalism, right? The, this, this idea of legalism, five points for you um, tonight. So here's our first, our first one is this. Legalists think they have to do something to be right with God. Legalists think they have to do something to be in right standing with God. Okay, I've, I've, especially like I've done something wrong, I know it's wrong, I feel guilty, and instead of just coming for grace, for forgiveness, confession and repentance, instead of doing that, I got to do something. I feel like, okay, I, I, I did something wrong, I'm going to have to do like three things good. I'm, I'm going to have to outweigh my bad. That's legalism, and that's not biblical. That's not grace. Grace is you are forgiven. 
enjoy, <laughs> right? It's wiped clean. Be free. Second point is this. Legalism breeds pride and control. Legalism breeds pride and control. And what's happening here and why Paul is giving warnings that we'll see in a second is because there are people that were controlling these believers. They were, they were looking to, to cause them to come under a yoke of bondage. They were trying to drive them to do some things that God hadn't called them to do. And they liked it, <laughs> right? They, they had this pride of like, I keep these laws. I do these things. You also should do these things. The law of God is good for what it is good for. And it is good for showing us the righteous standing of God and driving us to a savior. That's what the law of God is for, right? It, it, it teaches us this is the righteous standing of God. You don't meet it. Come to the Savior. But that's not what the legalist would do. The legalist would say, hey, this is the right standing of God. Work hard to meet it. And then they would say, well, I meet it, even though they don't, because we can't. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says this. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. If all we're doing is teaching the Ten Commandments, all we're really doing is showing people their sin. You can't be justified before the Lord by keeping the law. Galatians 2, verse 16, Paul said this in the book of Galatians, For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. By the works of the law. Like no flesh, no person, no matter how good you are, you're never going to stand in right standing with God. And so these, these legalists are leading them down the wrong direction. The third point, I think this is kind of interesting and a little bit counterintuitive, is that legalism leads to compromise. Legalism leads to compromise. Because the reality is God's law is impossible for me to keep. So like any good lawyer, I look for a loophole, right? If God puts up a law, then you and I naturally, or at least I, I don't know about you, look for a loophole. Okay, you said, right, if you have teenagers, you know this. Okay, you said be home by, I, it's 11.59, I'm home, I'm in the garage still, or I'm in the parking lot, or I'm at, you know, whatever, like... You try to find a loophole. That's what legalism, that's what we do. Legalism drives us to compromise looking for loopholes. If I'm going to relate to God based on rules, the reality is I can't keep his rules, so I make up my own rules. And I'm compromising because now it's not the standard of God, it's my own standard, and I'm, but I'm still like living under this legalism. And so I, you know, I, I make up a few boxes of to-dos, I make up a bunch of boxes of to-don'ts, and I feel good about myself, right? And, and we all kind of like make up our own. And we feel like, well, God's probably good because I'm good. I feel good about this. Maybe, you know, maybe I read my Bible at least five minutes every week and that's my, that's my goal. Right? And then some of you are like, no, 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 I read my Bible 50 minutes every day and that's my goal. Whatever. 
either one, it's, if I'm reading it just to read it, if I'm checking the box just to get it done, it's legalism. If I'm thinking that God is going to be happy because I read my Bible, it's legalism. It's relating to God based on my own works. Maybe, um, you know, the compromise for me is, well, I come to church at least once a month. <laughs> okay, I've, I feel good about that. I can keep that. I come to church every week. I come to church every twice a week. Like it, whatever it is, if I'm trying to relate to God, I just make up my own to do's and to don'ts. Right? You can look at it, even in the Old Testament, some of the prophets of the Old Testament, they were like, listen, just stop coming to the sanctuary. Just stop coming because your heart is wicked. It's not, it's not better for you to just come to the worship at the temple. It's not better for you just to show up at church if your heart isn't dealt with. If you're just playing a game, God's like, keep, keep your game. I don't, I don't need that. Don't make up your own to-dos and to-don'ts. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm good with the man upstairs. I pray before every meal and usually at night before I go to bed. <laughs> That's just legalism. No one None of us are good with God by the things that we do. The law is good, but we are not good enough. We can't keep it. And so if we think, oh yeah, it's good, we're, we're, we're living a lie. We're living in, in a false reality. And that's, that's the danger that we're going to talk about. That's the danger that we're going to see. If, if I'm like keeping these rules and thinking I'm right with God, but the reality is I'm not right with God, I'm living in a dangerous place. I'm living under legalism, feeling good about myself, and God is looking at me, and, re- and, and really, it's like, he, we're not good. Here's the fourth one, fourth point about legalism is legalism renders the cross ineffective. Legalism renders the cross ineffective. Why? Because it says, if there's something that I have to do, then what he has done isn't enough. You'd be like, well, I went, I'm not saying that. Oh, yeah, you are. If Jesus died on that cross and he cried out, it is finished, then what are you doing trying to add to it? Amen. What are you doing trying to think like, okay, this is good. Okay, thanks for that, but I'm going to make sure that I read my Bible at five times a week. He's like, no comparison, <laughs> right? Like the work of the cross and, and, and my silly little list, it's a joke. I've made the cross ineffective. I've said it's not enough, and and he said it was. And here's the last one, the fifth one. Legalism sucks the life out of everything. It becomes a whole life of I have to's instead of I get to's. It's a whole life of like, okay, I better do this. I better do that. Instead of, ah, I want to do this. I want to do that. I mean, nobody wants to have a relationship like that. I don't know if you've ever, like, think, of, think about you have a friend, he has a it's birthday. It's Chet's birthday today, right? It's Pastor Chet's birthday. If, if, if I was like, hey, you know, I sent him a text this morning, like, hey, happy birthday. If I was like, hey, uh, you're my friend. I have to send you at least five lines of a text. So happy birthday. I hope you have a great day and the sun is shining and you enjoy tacos and your flight is good. Okay, good. I feel good. I had to send five lines. Like, if you come to your significant other and you're like, listen, uh, 
you know, we've been going out a while and uh, I think I'm supposed to spend like 1.5 hours with you every week. Uh, I realized that I didn't quite get there. So you got, you want to do something tonight? It's like slap, right? Like what kind of love is that? And yet that's what we do with the Lord. We think that God like needs our legalistic do's and don'ts. And really he just needs our heart. He just wants our love, our life, our surrender. And so that's what Paul is, is talking about. That's why Paul is talking um, to the Philippians about this. So let's go ahead and look at verse one. We'll make our way through chapter three, first 11 verses. Paul starts off with uh, rejoicing, right? This is the book of rejoicing. I'm sure um, Pastor Chet has been talking about that. Finally, my brother, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Now he's not saying finally because he's almost done. You know how a pastor's like, I'm almost done. (laughs) And then they keep going for another 30 minutes. He's not saying, I'm almost done. He's saying like, okay, this is a big point. Like, hey, listen, listen up. Finally, here, this is is important. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And if you've been reading this book, you're you're like, okay, I heard that before. (laughs) So he says to them, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. He's like, basically, he's saying, I never get tired of telling you what you need to know. And what you need to know, right off the bat, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Again and again, he will say, anybody? Rejoice. 16 times in 104 verses, he talks about rejoice and joy. And that's a lot for a guy sitting in prison writing a letter, (laughs) right? Rejoice in the Lord. He's rejoicing in the Lord, not in this circumstance, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, it's not tedious for me. I want to tell you this. I want to, I want you to be safe. You say the same thing over and over to your kids when they learn to drive, drive careful, (laughs) right? Drive carefully. My son texted me tonight and he's like, um, I won't be home. My son's 20. So he's, you know, he's a Uh, I won't be home tomorrow. I'm going hunting. Okay. What do you think I said? Be careful, (laughs) right? Have fun. Be careful. Every time I, like when my youngest son was learning to drive, it's like every time he goes out, okay, drive careful. Like he could turn around and be like, dad, do you ever get tired of saying that? The answer, every parent in the room? No, (laughs) no, I don't. Why? Because I want you to be safe. And so when you go through scripture, you'll realize there's a lot of repetition. As a teacher, I can tell you repetition is the foundation of learning. And so the Lord and the scripture continues to remind us of rejoicing and of walking by faith, enjoying the freedom that we have in faith. So now verse two, he's, he goes into this very interesting comment. And he says in his desire for them to be safe, beware, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. What is he talking about? First time you read that, I I remember, I, I was like, what is he? Beware of dogs? Does he not like dogs? What's Paul's problem? I mean, I can see beware of cats, but beware of dogs. This isn't like the cute, like your, you know, cute little French bulldog you have, little chihuahua that you keep in your purse. 
You know, some of you have that. I used to be like, that's not a dog. I don't know what it is, but it's cute. It's cute. I do want a French bulldog. My wife won't have it, though, so we're at an impasse. It's not that kind of dog. How many of you guys have ever been on a mission trip um, to El Salvador? Anybody? I see, I see some of my students over here, high school students over here. We just came back from El Salvador a little while ago. I heard some of you guys are just going to El Salvador. I can tell you one thing about El Salvador. First time I was there, there are some dogs there. You should beware of those dogs, right? They are scary, mangy fleabags. They probably got some infection they're going to give you, right? That, this little thing curled up on a step and it just was like, oh, it was like, I mean, I was sad, but it was not cute. And, you know, you just see like, that's the kind of dog. It's like, beware. Why? Well, the, the interesting thing is they was called Gentiles. The Jews, this, the holy Jews would call the Gentiles dogs because they don't have a relationship with God. They're outside the family of God. What's Paul saying? He's like, hey, you legalists, you are the dogs. You're outside the fellowship of God. You're the dangerous one. You're the one that, you know, you bite and devour one another. You're the one that, you know, you got to get a tetanus shot or rabies or whatever. Like, you're dangerous. Beware of those dogs. And then he says, beware of evil workers. It's interesting because right now, um, Coast Hills, at Coast Hills, we're going through Galatians. And there's, so written by Paul and a very strong message against legalism. And it's the same thing. He talks about evil, work, working evil. And, 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 it's, and it's weird because you would think, well, that's not evil. It's good. But if you're doing good works to be right with God, it's evil. If you're doing good works, if you're trusting your good works to be right with God, it's evil. Because God is the only one good enough to do the good work. And the good work was done on the cross. And if you're trying to do good works to be right with God, he's like, you're an evil worker. You're working evil. You're missing what Christ has done. You're not trusting what God has given. And then he says, mutilators. Mutilators. What is he talking about? Well, Circumcision, that's what he's talking about. So circumcision is the removal of the flesh of the male anatomy, right? If you've been in the scriptures very long, you're like, okay. If you haven't, you're like, oh my gosh, what? <laughs> right? Well, that's, that's the sign of the covenant way back. Sign of the covenant with God, the cutting away of the flesh in this intimate part of your life. And what is Paul saying? He's like, listen, you guys are making people get circumcised for no reason, They don't have to get circumcised. They just have to put their faith in Christ. I mean, could you, could you imagine what the prayer room would look like if like, you're like, okay, if you want to accept Christ, come down and then go. (laughs) Right. Paul is like, you are a mutilator. Sorry. I just offended some of you. I apologize. (laughs) Right. Like you are, you're, you're, you're hurting these people. You are causing them to undergo an outward sign of something that is supposed to be an inward work. You're causing them to go through this painful process in life and not enjoy the grace and the goodness 
that God desires. So legalists, they're the dogs, the evil workers, the mutilators. It's interesting that he, you know, that he calls names. Usually we tell our kids, like, don't call names. <laughs> John the Baptist and Jesus both called names to the legalists, to the Pharisees, right? A lot of times people nowadays are like, you know, I have a problem with the church. And, you know, there's so many religious people and they're like such hypocrites. Jesus had that same problem. That's not us. We don't want that to be us. We want our hearts to be right with the Lord. The, the things that John the Baptist said, he, he said they were a brood of vipers. That's like a family of poisonous snakes. Right? That's a tough one. You walk up to church, like, family of poisonous snakes. That's tough. Jesus, he had a lot to say to the Pharisees. He called them blind guides, fools, whitewashed graves full of dead bones. That's colorful, right? Serpents, vipers, and hypocrites. And he's not not saying this to the, you know, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners. He's saying it to the religious leaders. The real hypocrites. Ouch, right? They're... They were blind spiritually, but wouldn't admit it. They're fools because they wouldn't follow their own teaching. Right? They were looking good on the outside, but the inside they were dead. That's why he called them, you know, these graves that whitewash. Like you, you wash the, the stone, but inside it's, it's dead. They were hard-hearted and unwilling to humble themselves. And the reality is, is that God looks not on the outward appearance. We get so worried about like the outward appearance. They were very into what do they look like, right? They, they, they acted the right way. They, they ate the right things. They said the right words. And yet God looks straight through all of that right into their heart. And he's like, that's the problem. And all they had to do was say, you're right. (laughs) Forgive me, cleanse me. Right? Do you remember one of those religious leaders? He came, John chapter 3. He comes at night. Right? Nick at night. Hey, God, Jesus, tell me about this. How's this? How's this happened? And Jesus is like, listen, you've got to be born again. Oh. See, that's the, that's the issue. It's the issue of the heart. So he calls them dogs and evil workers and mutilators. But then in verse 3, it says... So who are the real circumcised? Who are the real ones that have a real covenant relationship with God? Verse 3, it says, For we are the circumcision, Paul says, who what? Who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So who truly is part of the covenant relationship with God? It's the people who worship in spirit. Do you remember Jesus said that? He's like, I'm looking for worshipers. Those who will worship in spirit and in truth. That's who God is looking for. That that the worship comes from our heart. That we rejoice. I don't rejoice in my own strength. I don't rejoice in my own ability. I don't rejoice in my own, you know, uh, gifts or talents or holy decisions or spiritual disciplines. I don't rejoice in that. I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in Christ Jesus who came 
and set me free. And then he says, if you have a real relationship with God, if you have this covenant, right covenant with God, true circumcision of the heart, he says you have no confidence in your flesh. I was telling them at Coast Hills that the flesh has a song. Do you want, do you want to learn how to sing a song? Anybody? Anybody want to learn a song? I'm a horrible singer. I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, okay? So the flesh has one song, and it always sings this song. Ready? Me, 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 me. That's it. You want to try it with me? Ready? Me, 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 me. That's the flesh's song. It always is about me. The song the Spirit sings is rejoice. And again, I say rejoice in the Lord. Worthy is the Lamb. Right? That's the song of the Spirit. And so when your heart sings, worthy is the Lamb, you know it's the Spirit. And when your heart sings, me, 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 you know it's the flesh. Verse 4 goes on and Paul says, and he's talking about having no confidence in the flesh. He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. This idea of confidence is he puts his trust and reliance on the flesh. He's like, if anybody can put their trust and reliance on the flesh, it's me. If anybody wants to like match spiritual resumes, like check me out. Look at my credentials, right? Paul's going to list his credentials, not to impress us, but to make a point. The things the law said to do, Paul did it. The family that would get you closer to the pearly gates, Paul had it. He had holy DNA. He came from a, a long line. He went to the right schools. He knew all the things. And he counts all those things as garbage. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, circumcise the eighth day. That's how you're supposed to do it. Of the stock of Israel. So he was a Jew. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's a man's man. <laughs> Concerning the law. A Pharisee. They had the highest standard of spiritual discipline. Now, the interesting thing, maybe you know about the Pharisees. The interesting thing about this, the Pharisees, honestly, is where they started was admirable. Where they started was good. They wanted to stick to the scriptures. They wanted to live holy lives. They wanted to keep purity and holiness as a, as a key part of the nation of Israel. Those are not bad things, right? I mean, there's some of us, we have that same hope. You have that same hope for your family or your church or your country, right? You want to, you want to see God's word be exalted. You want to see people be right and righteous, live good lives. You want to see holiness, purity, right? Amen. Anybody? Right? We want those things. But the way that we go about getting those things and the way they went about getting those things led to death. It led to them putting Christ to death. What did they try to do? They tried to legislate righteousness. 
keep these rules, do these things, this, that, and the other. This is what you can do on a Sabbath. This is what you can't do on a Sabbath. This is what you can do this. Like all of these things. You have to go to the rabbi. Okay, can I do this? Can I do that? Is this okay? It's like this huge yoke of bondage. When really they needed to come to God for mercy and grace. God, I need help. God, we need strength. God, we need you to work and move in our nation, in our lives. Concerning zeal, he said, verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He's like, how, how committed was I to the Jewish faith? I, I persecuted the church. I, I, was, I was going after those who were what I thought against the Jewish nation and faith. I was a persecutor. He was zealous. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, sometimes we look at that and be like, wait, how can he be blameless? Nobody's, nobody's perfect. He's not saying he's perfect. He's saying he followed all the law. So the law said to do this, so I did this. I, 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 I didn't eat this, I did eat that. I, I went to church here, I, I, I did that. Like, I, I followed all the rules. Like the rich young ruler, when he comes to Jesus, and he's like, okay, what do I have to do, eternal life? And Jesus is like, hey, have you kept the commandments? He's like, I got them all, I, I, I did it. I haven't murdered, I haven't committed adultery, I, you know, all those things. He's like, I'm, I, I, I'm a, I follow the law. But look at then what he says. Look at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. What things were gained to me, what looked good, what seemed good, my heritage, my education, my disciplines, my, my decisions in life, like all of the, the commitment that I have. He's like, all of this, I count it as loss. And that word loss is interesting. It really is talking about loss or damage. The other time it comes up is in the book of Acts when it's talking about like a shipwreck or something. There's a damage. What's he saying? He's saying these things that look like gain actually were damaging. How could those things be damaging? How, how would he count them as like loss, damage? Like I, I, I don't want anything to do with that. The word is zamiya. Zamiya means loss or damaged. Paul is saying it's loss because the more you get used to trusting yourself, the harder it is to trust Christ. The more I get used to like my own works, the less I feel like I have to trust his work. This becomes a burden, but it also becomes a habit. It becomes a lifestyle. And Paul, when he met Christ, realized, my heart is wicked. My eyes are blind. I'm lost. And he cries out for God for mercy and receives it. And all those other things, he's like, that's all loss. That's just nothing. That's damage. I just, none of it. Now, the interesting, beautiful thing, I believe, is that God uses all that training. God uses all that knowledge. 
He flips it around in his grace and he uses it for good. Right? Like, nobody writes doctrinal treatises like Paul. The book of Romans, Galatians, Philippians, like all of these amazing books that he has written, he is a smart guy. He has worked hard and developed his intellect, but when God changed his heart, all of that became something that God could use for his glory rather than the glory of Paul, right? Rather than singing the song of like, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a Benjamite, I'm a, I'm a Jew, I went to Gamaliel school, like me, 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 right? Instead, he's like, man, worthy is the lamb. So verse eight, yet indeed, now he's going to go further with this idea. Yet indeed, I, al- I also count all things loss. What? For what? Why would you do that? I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. There's a lot going on in that verse, right? Everything that is not helping me pursue the most excellent thing of knowing Christ, it's just loss. I don't let anything get in my way of my relationship with Christ, of, of, of the excellent, beautiful sweetness of Jesus, right? There's so many things that can distract. There's so many things that can disrupt. There's so many things that we can put in the way. It can be, every, it can be everything from you know, social media to ministry to relationships to athletics. Like there's anything in life we can allow it to get in the way. And Paul's like, I don't let anything get in the way. It's all just rubbish. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things. And he doesn't say, I suffered the loss of all things and poor me. I'm so sad. I, you know, I had a great life before I came to Christ and now I deny myself all the time and woe is me. (laughs) He's like, that stuff was garbage. It's, I, I will say that there are times, if you've walked with Christ for a long time, there are times that your rear view mirror gets a little bit foggy. Right, it gets a little bit dirty, and you look back and you're like, eh, it wasn't so bad back then. You know, me and the boys, it's a pretty good time. Always smoking out, getting high, it's great. Throwing back a few, it was like a good time. You re- you, you, your vision isn't clear enough to realize that all your relationships were fake, yeah. and you're throwing up in the toilet at the end of the night. And you had no real friends and right, like all of that. Like he doesn't say, I'm, you know, like I, I'm so bummed, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven. He, he's like, no, that's rubbish. That's rubbish. The excellence that drives Paul's life is knowing Christ. Is that what drives your life? Is that what drives my life? Right? Like, is it just an add-on? Or is it the most excellent thing? So Paul says, 
Verse 8, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. I, I looked this word up. It's kind of a fun word in the Greek. Skubalon. Skubalon. That's rubbish. You want to say it? Skubalon. Say it to your neighbor just for fun. Skubalon. Anytime you, you're like that old life starts creeping in. Anytime like something starts to distract or disrupt, I, I just, I, I'm praying the Holy Spirit right now, I'm praying, scubalon will come in your head. It'll be like, <sighs> some of you will say it to each other tomorrow. You'll be like, huh, scubalon. <laughs> right? Say it to yourself first before you say it to somebody else. Scubalon, what does that mean? That means I'm counting it like rubbish. Like, it's like, okay, I know it's church, but it's poop. That's what he's talking about. He's like, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, you know what one of my jobs was? We had a dog. The pooper scooper. Anybody with me, the pooper scooper job? You just don't really want to admit it, but yeah, I see the hand. It, it's like, that is the worst job. After you're done, you, just like, you don't want any part of that. In our, in our like, yard, it was the very farthest away. That's where it all went, like back there. Scoobalon. It's the off-scouring, it's the garbage, it's the excrement, it's the junk. Yeah. And that's the old life. But if you show your weakness and your humanity, people will connect with you. And Paul is like, listen, I am weak and he is strong. And I have a connection. I'm, and we have a connection because we're sharing in the sufferings. You go through something difficult and you are tight, right? You, you have some experience together that's, that's emotional or, or painful and, and, and you're, you're close, you're deep, fast. That's that like, whole boot camp experience, right? It's like, okay, this is going to be hard and we're going to stick together. But think of the context. If you want to just... Turn a page or, you know, scroll down a little bit. Look at chapter 2, last chapter, chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7, Paul is saying about Jesus. He said, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That is suffering. Even the death of the cross. There's suffering that we all go through, but there is suffering that we all go through if we follow Christ. And that's when we share in his suffering. What did Jesus say if you want to follow him? If you want to follow me, pick up your cross. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. That's suffering. And when we live a life of self-denial, we're sharing in the suffering of Christ because Christ denied himself, because Christ became a servant, because Christ laid down his life. And, and if we try to share or talk about the Christian life as just like, you know, unicorns and rainbows all the time, it's like, oh, sweetness of Jesus. I don't know about you, but... Even just recently, I can tell you within the last few weeks, 
like God said no to me about something that I wanted him to say yes. And, and it was hard. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Amen. It's like, this is a great idea, Lord. This is good. I really like this. <laughs> scuba. God says scuba. God's like, no, scuba. That's not for you, buddy. And you die inside. And that's the point. That's the point. You die inside. It's a little bit. But when I die, he raises me back up. Because that's what happened in Philippians chapter 2, right? Yeah, he died and then he rose again. He, was, he went to the lowest and he was exalted to the highest. And when you and I, when you and I are willing to die, I'm telling you, he gives you life. When you and I are willing to deny ourselves, not immediately, sometimes it's eternally, but there's a reward that's better, that's deeper and richer. There's the suffering of self-denial, the suffering of living for Christ, not myself. There's the suffering of not my will, but yours be done. There's the suffering of he must increase and I must decrease. And when we suffer, we share the fellowship of Christ. However, the suffering, as we said, is not without a purpose. I'm going to close with this last verse. It's one of my favorite verses. It's in Romans chapter 8. We'll have it up on the screen. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It doesn't matter how much suffering it is. You live, I, I was talking to a guy the other day and he was talking about his, his, his grandpa was like 92 or something. 92 years, that's, that's a long time, right? It doesn't matter if you live to be 120 and you suffer every day. When you get to heaven and you've been there for a billion years, None of that will matter. You won't even think about it. I mean, you ever see a two-year-old just having an absolute meltdown? Just like full on, on the ground, screaming. You think it's, it's, you've tortured them or something, right? Like they didn't get the sucker and now it's over. That's how we are sometimes. But does anybody remember that kind of stuff now? No. And when you and I get to heaven, all of those choices that we made to deny ourselves, to walk by faith, to choose grace, to trust his work, I'm not getting there by the little do's and don'ts list that I have. I'm getting there by the grace of God. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray together. We'll worship. Father, we are grateful for your grace. We're thankful for your work on the cross. Thankful that it is finished. 
or that we don't have to be driven by a, a list of do's and don'ts, that we can be driven by the, the knowledge, the excellency of Christ. Father, all the rest of the garbage, God, all the rest of the scuba, <laughs> we just, we pray that you'd remind us, and sanctify us and set us apart in a way that we can enjoy the life and the freedom and the joy that you came to give us. You came to give us life and that more abundantly. So my prayer is this evening, God, that if we have elements, Lord, that are keeping us from that relationship, that you would point them out, that we would confess, that we would repent, that we would enjoy your grace and your forgiveness, that we'd walk out of here tonight lighter, freer, closer to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.